Hi there, I'm Haley. And I'm Sophie. And we are your Perspectives podcast hosts. The Perspectives podcast is a graduate-run program exploring various public health topics in an effort to learn from experts in the field and the community from varied backgrounds and areas of inquiry. We explore topics within and outside of standard public health discourse, but our conversations relate to subjects that impact all of us on various levels of well-being. We're glad you're here and we're excited to learn alongside you. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Joanne Lipozovic is a professor, a mediator, an attorney, and most importantly, my mother. Welcome, Mom. Hi, honey. Thanks for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you on your first podcast. You know this, but by way of background, I come from kind of a few different perspectives. I have a JD, so I work as an attorney. I also work as a a mediator in the eviction space. And then I teach in the Masters of Sustainable Peacebuilding program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, which is an applied master's program focused on systems thinking and sustainable change through stakeholder and community engagement. So all of these pieces kind of come together in the work that I do related to housing. Yeah, so that's today's episode topic, housing stability, specifically related to eviction. How did you get started with eviction mediation? A number of years ago, my colleague and friend Amy Colts and I had been on the state ADR board together in Wisconsin, the Alternative Dispute Resolution Board, as members of the state bar, because we both are trained as attorneys but work as mediators. And we wanted to do some things to try and advance mediation in a way that could serve more people. And so we had approached, we've both been connected to small claims court because we both teach as adjunct faculty at the law school as well. And so we know the commissioners in small claims court where evictions are held, and we know that there's a huge amount of, an inordinate number of cases. And so we thought mediation might be a way to try and help shift some of the dynamics and move some of those cases out of the judicial track into a mediation track. And so we piloted something there. And then in 2018, a group of stakeholders in Milwaukee were convened by the then mayor, Tom Barrett, and his director of housing to try and get a sense on the ground of what were the resources that were being allocated to housing and housing-related issues, and specifically related to eviction. So it was convened by those two folks in the Wisconsin Policy Forum, and we got to identify what were the resources and where was their greater need. And mediation in serving eviction processes was identified as a need. So then Amy and I went down that path to try and figure out how to expand those things, and that's where we are now. So for those who may not know, can you tell us what the consequences of eviction are? Well, there's there's several consequences. First of all, eviction is an end process, right? So part of what we want to do is not have it happen at that place. There are going to be issues related to housing, landlord and tenant housing. There's legal issues, and those are what they are based on the laws of whatever particular jurisdiction you're in. That doesn't mean when there's a problem, it has to end with an eviction. There are ways to end a landlord-tenant relationship that don't have to be eviction. And if it's going towards eviction, the goal is to try and make the end of that tenancy happen in a way that isn't so damaging to the tenant. And, and I'm speaking, my experience is Wisconsin-related and understanding the processes in Wisconsin and specifically Milwaukee County. And there's a lot of commonalities in every state, but every state has their own laws related to it. So that's a, a big piece to consider. Yeah, so then in Wisconsin, or specifically in Milwaukee, because that's where you're living and working, 
What is the extent of the issue? Milwaukee is the most densely populated community in Wisconsin, so we have more people living there, and hence most of the evictions happen in Milwaukee County, and there are thousands of them that happen a year. In many respects, I'll talk pre-pandemic and then post, because that was a line of demarcation that we didn't anticipate, but that had significant impacts on the work that we do. So pre-pandemic, and, and really looking specifically at just the work that my, my partner Amy and I were doing in eviction, we had made a particular effort to try and engage with various stakeholders who are impacted or part of the, the housing system. And specifically, we wanted to look at, okay, if an eviction a judicial-based eviction is the thing we want to avoid. How do we back up in the system and move upstream to look at how do we help that not happen? So could we engage with landlords to look at trying to do what we call pre-filing mediation? There's an issue between a landlord and a tenant. It could be a payment issue. It could be a other breach of a lease issue. There's any number of things that it could be. Can we try and do some outreach to get people to be aware of the fact that there is this process available with professional trained mediators and that they don't have to pay for it. We're totally funded through, we, you know, we get all of our own grant resources. And could we get people to engage in that process to try and improve the communication and to improve the relationship? Because ultimately it is almost always a communication issue and then it spirals from there. The other thing is we're talking about pre-filing. So we are trying to get people to engage prior to initiating the court-connected eviction process because the simple act of filing creates a record that's a searchable piece of data on the court tracking system, which was originally designed to be an internal system, but now it's external. Freedom of information issues, mm -hmm. it's known as CCAP in Wisconsin. But once even a filing happens, even if the, the case doesn't ultimately even go to an eviction, the simple act of filing is kind of a scarlet letter for mm -hmm. a tenant it impacts their credit, it can impact their ability to get future rental housing, all sorts of things can happen that are problematic. So it can shift people from one access to a certain level of housing into a completely different type of housing in terms of quality and price and location and all sorts of issues. So we were focused on pre-filing and then we also focused on post-filing, which is when a case is in the court, could it still be redirected away from the judicial process to try and resolve it and get the case dismissed and then ultimately sealed. So we've always taken this two-track approach and our preferred is to get people to engage prior to the filing happening. Now there's obviously, I can talk I can talk about this forever. There's so many <laughs> things I could share with you. We could have a 20-hour podcast, but that wouldn't be very interesting to your listeners. But there's lots of things that can complicate it at each step of the way. So we try and just focus where we can, make change that's impactful. Mm-hmm. Well, I, for one, am learning a lot right now, so this is great. <laughs> so anyways, enter COVID. How has all of this changed since the beginning of the pandemic and throughout the pandemic? Okay, so enter co just before COVID, we had had this, I had talked about this group of stakeholders that had gotten together in 2018, and there was this set of recommendations. And a smaller group from that, we a, a lot of us doing work, got to know one another much more deeply than we had previously. We got to know who did what and at what levels, and we could look at you know, how to better share our resources, how to better communicate and collaborate and know about one another. So we started to actually improve kind of the system connected to housing security. And a small group started to organize with the goal of implementing some of these recommendations from this 2018 process. And then COVID happened. And 
interestingly, because of that pre-COVID process, when COVID happened and there was just an enormous upheaval and an enormous amount of uncertainty and lots of risks because, you know, people so much, the economic fallout and people losing jobs and not being able to pay housing. The silver lining was that we had started to build relationships we hadn't previously had. And so when faced with this really significant community-wide crisis, we pulled together and worked really well to say, how do we utilize our resources to now start to move some of this funding? How do we help the courts to respond? Because everything shut down. The courts shut down. The providers who would do in-person services shut down. Everything changed overnight. And it became really, really critical for us all to communicate that much more effectively to try and figure out where was the greatest need and how did we address how do we address it the most effectively. Were you doing eviction mediations virtually? Yes, we continued to do evictions. And instead of, you know, we've always done a lot of our work through phone. In court, we're there in person. Well, obviously, when the pandemic came and the courts shut down, that changed. And when we were doing the pre-filing work and starting to build this new system through Mediate Milwaukee, we realized that in order to maximize the ability to reach out to people who could be impacted, what we call shuttle mediation, I call you as the tenant, and then I get off the phone, and then I call the landlord, and then I go back and forth, and sometimes I'll get you both on a call, but not that often. That was much more efficient and effective because then I could talk to you Even if you were at work, you could maybe reach out to me. I could reach people where they were. Being in person requires people have access to transportation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of expectations that we forget aren't and needs and um, tools that aren't available to everybody. And the pandemic highlighted that even more. Mm -hmm. So all the things that are wrong with the system were just amplified Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. With the pandemic, there was a moratorium. So there was a huge period of time where people couldn't be evicted. So that obviously dropped the numbers of filings. The COVID relief funding that was made available and being distributed to people who had a COVID-related loss of income and therefore couldn't pay their rent has helped a lot of people to get stabilized. One of the challenges is that the maximum amount that any one person who is impacted by COVID could get was 15 months of funding. And I'm going to tell you that Two years ago, we thought, wow, nobody's ever Mm going to need 15 months of funding. And now we're bumping up against lots of people who have maxed out their funding. For some people, they're having difficulty finding jobs, period. For some people, it's that their hours are still up and down. It's still erratic. Or they will have an exposure and somebody has to be off of work. Or they'll have a child that gets sick with COVID. Or the school will go back to being virtual. So there's still a lot of unpredictability. And that continuing far longer than I think any one of us imagined not like we've ever been in a pandemic before, but I think in our minds we thought we'd be in a better place by now. Combined with the housing allocations being maxed, we're now starting to see eviction numbers go back up. So that is very, very concerning. The one other thing that was a positive is we've we've actually, through our outreach work, the Apartment Association of Southeastern Wisconsin is one of the partners for this Rental Housing Resource Center, which by the way is a one-stop shop for landlords and tenant resources that this nine partner group created during all of this going on. Um, And one of the things that that we've been able to do is to get any number of landlords who have taken what one of our very dear landlord colleagues calls a mediation first approach, where they don't start by filing an eviction. They don't start by initiating what would be the judicial process. They start by engaging us and saying, something's going on here. There's an issue. Can you help? 
that's been a great change to see people just look at maybe there's a different way to to stabilize the situation and prevent it and prevent Mm -hmm. it right so there's been a lot more effort towards diversion and prevention Mm -hmm. than there had been two years ago This is all exacerbated by the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about what the impacts of eviction are on a community? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot. And, and they reach far beyond what people think. It's not just about a tenant being displaced, right? It could be that that person who is the, the tenant, the renter, being displaced could mean that they, if they have children, that their children now are going to get moved to a different school. If they get literally get evicted, they could be homeless for some period of time. You know, all of their possessions could be put out by the sheriff. I mean, none of this comes without cost, right? That's a a very costly process right there, not to mention the emotional and the kind of human toll, because the loss of dignity is really significant in the process. People can lose their jobs because of it, right? If you're getting evicted, you've got to deal with finding other housing and taking care of your family. You don't show up for work or you can't get to work, you might lose your job. We often work with folks who, as I said earlier, are spending a significant percentage of their earnings on their housing, which means there isn't a ton of money for other things. So a lot of people have to live either near a bus line because they don't have a car, or they are walking in some cases. If you have to move and you have located yourself because you're proximate to your employment and now you are not living there anymore, that can have an impact. It also destabilizes communities. Somebody who might have been the long-standing anchor on a block and gets evicted and they're gone, that can change completely the dynamic, the instability. You know, you, you know, you grew up on a, a block where you've had the same neighbors for your whole life. That provides a level of stability mm-hmm. and, and comfort and trust and safety and security that really makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So how is housing stability a public health issue? Well, it's interesting. Everyone knows, everyone being the the many different people that I work with who are involved in the housing system, whether they're attorney advocates, social service agency advocates, we're neutrals, intergovernmental folks. Everyone understands that it's a public health issue because housing is such a critical piece to giving people stability. It's the springboard from which job security happens. Mm -hmm. For kids, it's the the connection to stable schools. It's the connection to relationships, right? Stable relationships. Um, So we all know it's a public health issue. And at the same time, everyone focuses on their little granular space and tends to not zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So part of what I am notorious for in our group is I'm the person that, because of my teaching in the MSP program at UWM, I'm the person that reminds everybody ad nauseum. We have to think about not just the individual work that we do, which is important. And the pandemic made us all really focus on granular services because the need was so unbelievable. You know, my mediation work exploded, right? And I was doing five times the level of work I had previously been doing or more. And I keep saying at some point, we have to keep going back and continue the commitment to the process of zooming out and saying, what do we need to do differently in this system? For example, we have a collaborative group that's working with the head of the courts in Milwaukee, and we're working together to try and examine the court processes to look at how do we do that differently so that the impacts of the court, the judicial process are less. And so that we also utilize the resources of the court better because they're taxed. Everybody's operating on very limited resources, really thinking differently about how we do things. Just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. So looking at the bigger system and trying to zoom out and think about where can we 
leverage change in a way that's sustainable and can have an impact on people who are affected is the most critical piece. Okay, so you spoke about the multi-level approaches to eviction mediation. About the mediation itself and your role, what are some important characteristics of an effective eviction mediator? So first of all, I think it it isn't necessarily even about eviction mediation. Professional mediation, period, has some common qualities, but in eviction, there's even, I think, some things that are particularly important. And I would say two of them, two of the really critical pieces are having an incredibly good capacity to listen, to deeply, deeply listen without judgment, without predetermination, just to listen. And it because it seems on its face, oh, well, this person's being evicted. It could go this way, this way, or this way. You know, it seems like there's a finite number of directions and there really are. And notwithstanding that, people still need to be heard fully and respectfully and they need to be given the dignity of being able to tell you what's going on from their perspective. And so it's about being empathetic and treating people with dignity because those are two things that a lot of people are denied in our system. And another thing, as a mediator, we are keepers of a process. And although we know there are outcomes that will be better potentially than others, it's a voluntary and mutually consensual agreement. So both parties have to be okay with the terms. And we can help to explain to people some things that we've seen done that might be possible, but it really is up to the parties to craft whatever an agreement might look like. Part of our goal at the end of any agreement or through the course of any mediation process is to try and talk about the communication issues that got things to where they are. Because most times, as I said earlier, it's a communication issue. And one of the challenges is when communication gets difficult, people don't always know how to handle it. They don't know how to engage in differences. And when we talk about conflict, we talk about conflict as a delta between one party's interest and another party's interest. It doesn't need to be adversarial. It doesn't need to be hostile. But often it is because once it becomes a conflict, people don't know how to engage in conflict in a way that isn't adversarial. Mm -hmm. We also talk about prevention and improved communication going forward, particularly where we reach agreements to try and resolve a situation without an eviction. It could be a mediated move-out agreement where a party has been given more time to leave. It could be that there's funding available. With with COVID, there's been an enormous amount of funding distributed around the country, and Milwaukee's actually done a pretty decent job of, of moving money to people who need it. But we can talk about what are things that could be done, and where there is an agreement, the parties have often lessened in terms of their levels of anxiety. And then we can talk about, okay, now going forward, if a problem presents itself, how might we think about dealing with it? How might you want to engage? We try and help people just improve their communication because it's not something that we're all very proficient at and we don't really learn it as a discipline. We learn it because we grow up talking and listening or not talking and listening or behaving badly or maybe behaving well, but we don't generally treat it as the kind of skill-based interaction that we should. Mm -hmm. You've talked a lot about mediation as a prevention intervention. What are some other options? We have the ability to influence, but we're not the legislators. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of issues that end up being about policy and political will. And so some of this relates to our commitment to how do we deal with affordable housing? How do we provide and make sure there's sufficient affordable housing that matches 
the community that needs housing. That's a political issue mm-hmm. and a policy issue. Not one that we're not unwilling to take on, but there's a lot of other people that need to be engaged in that. And I don't know what the answers are, but there are possible, I mean, there's all sorts of ideas from housing vouchers to community land trusts to any number of different things. And everything should be explored. And then another issue is there's just simple economics. There are not the jobs in the areas where the people who need jobs. So there's this disconnect. And I talk to a lot of folks who are working at jobs where they actually have an employer that provides transportation, a bus that'll come to a particular location in the city and then drive people an hour or an hour and 15 minutes outside to a particular manufacturing facility or something like that. We really need to rethink how we connect people to employment and that they're not so far away from one another. Mm. What do you suggest for students who might want to get involved in housing stability and security work or eviction work? Well, part of it is thinking about, I mean, you guys are doing systems-based work. I'm assuming that you talk a lot about the bigger system. Mm -hmm. So some of it is going to think about, okay, where can I get involved and how can I help to maybe foster some of those policy-based dialogues. You know, you're getting trained in research and analysis, and so maybe you can help to bring people together around information that's going to help generate ideas. Some of it maybe if it's if it's of interest to you, you get connected with an organization. I mean, there's always a need for smart, engaged, interested, compassionate people to help solve problems. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add? No, just that it's really my honor to be your first podcast and this has been really fun and informative too i hope so anytime you want me to come back again i'd love to <laughs> cool thanks mom love, sure. you. love you too <laughs> if you would like to learn more about this topic we've attached resources for you in the description of this episode thank you again for joining us today we hope we'll see you next time